the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He's been recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings nearly 40 years of experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. The show is in two parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. The second part of the show, we talk about nostalgia, history, politics, whatever comes to mind. And as you know, the first part of the show, we usually have one of our attorneys help us with the first part of the show. And today we have on our semi-regular, Nicole Donnelly. Welcome back, Nicole. Hello, hello. It's always a pleasure to be here. Okay, so... What questions are coming up right now? What do we want to talk about? So we're bringing it back a little to the estate planning gone wrong segment that we started quite a while ago. You guys haven't heard it in a while. Um, But what we've been noticing or what we see is when people do revocable trusts when they're younger. And Mr. Connors, let's just pause right there. When is a good time to do a revocable trust? When you're worried about avoiding probate, whatever age you are, in some cases when you have a taxable estate and of course if you're in New York a taxable estate kicks in at roughly seven million dollars federally it's almost 13 million well it's 13 million seven hundred thousand but if you're a New York resident and your estate is more than seven million dollars and you're married you might want to do a revocable trust you always want to avoid probate the question is on a revocable trust the deadline is to do it before you pass away and to get your assets in there before you pass away so that's a great question. When is it too late? It's before you pass away. And how do we know that? And, you know, of course, some people can get paranoid on it. If we got a younger couple and they're both 40 years old, maybe we don't panic. At the same time, if you're both in your late 70s, you want to do it some kind of trust if you're in your late 70s, no matter what your health is. So um, it's it's something to be discussed, and you got to be ready to do it. You know, and some people are not ready to do it. But that's what we can talk about if you want to come in and schedule an appointment. When do you want to do a trust now or don't? And some people, there are some reasons where they may not be um, in a position where they have to act right away because maybe they have children living in the house. 
and your house is protected from medical bills, and most of your other money may be IRAs or 401ks or retirement assets, and maybe you don't have a lot at risk. And you can avoid probate with the beneficiaries on the IRAs, the 401k, or your bank accounts. So it's a question. If you own real estate, though, you don't want to die owning real estate without that real estate being in a trust agreement. That That's what we come down to. One is too early, one's too late. Too late is when you die. And, if, and of course, if you own real estate, we can do the deed and the trust the same day. But let's say you have some other assets you want to put in the trust. You have property upstate or property in Florida, whatever. You know, you, you need to be alive to switch the deeds over to completely avoid the idea of probate. Believe it or not, not everybody knows that you have to be alive to actually do these things. <laughs> that is one of the questions that I do get. <laughs> yeah, some people think they can do well. You know, that's one of the questions you get on a power of attorney. Can I do a power of attorney when I become incompetent? No, you got to sign it ahead of time. You can make the form that it doesn't take effect unless a medical doctor certifies that you're not of sound mind to, or have legal capacity to sign documents. You, that you can do, but you can't wait to sign until you're after incompetent because then, in theory, you don't know what you're doing. All right, Nicole, we're talking about the, the problem sometimes when somebody has a revocable trust and they get older and they haven't changed it to an irrevocable trust. That's Sometimes we have problems. That's what has been coming up. People do a revocable trust and they think, okay, well, I already did my trust. My trust is good to go. I never have to revisit it. And that's why I asked you about the age because sometimes there is a difference in age and priority and what they're looking to accomplish. And now for home care, this is coming up big because they're saying they're going to change the laws and the look back period and things of that nature. So when is a good time to look at changing your revocable trust to an irrevocable trust? Or do you ever just skip the first trust, go straight into irrevocable? What are the rules, if any? Well, I don't know if they're rules, but again, let's say you're you're 75 or older and you're thinking about doing a trust. And one of the first questions we're going to talk about, do you want the trust to be revocable or irrevocable? Now, if you have $10 million more of assets, I don't see any reason to give up, you know, put your assets in an irrevocable trust because you're not going to go broke. God forbid you go to a nursing home. Um, at the same point, if you have, uh, you know, which a lot of our clients do, they have a house worth a million, a million five hundred thousand, two million dollars, and they got a hundred thousand in the bank. Well, if something happens, that million-dollar house plus it may be subject to nursing home bills. So we want to put that house in a trust and hopefully irrevocable so your children are not trapped into not selling that house. So, uh, again, you know, if, if you have $10 million in assets and a lot of it is in retirement money, well, that can pay for any nursing home stay. So if you got $500,000, you can lose and pay for five years in a nursing home, hopefully the combination of that five hundred I just talked about and your Social Security and pension. If you got that to lose, or if you have long-term care insurance, we'd recommend a revocable trust. Also, if you have a child living in the house, and that's your major asset, and the child's been living in your house for more than two years, again, we can start to go with, you know, revocable, because as long as the child lives in the house for more than two years, that house is protected from nursing home bills, from medical bills. Now, here's one thing, too. As, as you mentioned, Right now in New York, for the next approximate year, the laws are very liberal on home care Medicaid, if you need home care Medicaid. So if you put virtually all your assets in an irrevocable trust, let's say in February, on March 1st, 
the first day of the month following the transfer, you can apply for home care community Medicaid. You put your assets in the trust in March, you can apply in April. And that's going to be good for the rest of the year. The Medicaid has said sometime next year they're going to go to a 30-month look-back period for home care Medicaid. When that's going to happen, I don't know. Listen, we've been, I don't want to sound like the boy who cried wolf because we've been talking about this for two and a half, three years, and the city keeps, you know, kicking the can down the road. So I'm not sure when it's going to happen, but I would bet sooner or later it would. So if you have a relative that needs home care Medicaid, I would strongly suggest you think about putting your assets in irrevocable trust. And irrevocable is not as bad as it sounds. In New York, an irrevocable trust, one, we can fire the trustees, we can change it. Some people think I have an irrevocable trust, I can't make any changes. Well, that's not true. We can change an irrevocable trust in New York. We can change the beneficiaries. We can change the trustees. The one thing we can't do is take back full control of the trust. We have to have somebody else as a trustee. 90, 95% of the time, it's going to be your children or a combination of your children. And, you know, some people say, are there maintenance fees with the trust or whatever? No, not unless your children are going to charge you to handle the trust. And in some cases, let's say we're borderline taxable estates, and if your kids do charge you maintenance fees or trustees commissions, then in that case, we might be able to drag the estate to under the taxable amount and save your children, your heirs, a significant amount of money in taxes. That's, you know, we can't say there's a, a one, one glove fits all. Everybody's a little different. But if you want to protect your assets from nursing home bills, you want to get the five-year clock started. If you go to a nursing home, a nursing home can examine all your transactions that happened within five years of the date of admission into the nursing home or the date you apply for Medicaid. So they go back five years back, you have to explain all your transactions. If you want to get the clock started, you put your assets in a trust in February, March is month number one on the five-year clock, and you're at four years and 11 months. No matter where you are in the, uh, on the picture, you're always better off getting the clock started. Because it's not as if you go to, to you know, four years and 11 months, you lose everything. You pay for one month, let's say, in the nursing home, and everything else is safe. And, you know, a lot of people come in, well, if I have, I have to live five years for this trust to be good. No. You know, you, if you pass away, the assets in the irrevocable trust go out tax-free to the children. You get what's called a stepped-up basis because our irrevocable trust have enough hooks attached, strings attached, where the IRS would say you get the stepped-up basis, which means if you paid your, your uh, $100,000 for your house 30 years ago, whatever, and it's worth, a million dollars today, or a million dollars when your kids when your kids inherit the house, they don't pay the tax on the capital gain. They let's say they sell the house for a million dollars. They put a million dollars in the in their pocket after closing costs. So that's why we recommend a trust to avoid probate. And the only effective way to avoid probate on real estate is through a trust agreement. You give the house to your kids. Too many bad things can happen. We spend hours and hours talking about, you know, you, you give the house to your son, he dies before you, you're in partnership with your daughter-in-law, and she gets remarried and leaves part of your house to somebody you don't even know today. So, you know, just giving it to your kids is not is 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 not a good option. Even with, sometimes we do a life estate, if somebody doesn't have too much money and they still want to avoid probate on their house and they have a child living in the house, sometimes we might do it. But even then, if the child dies first, we got a problem. 
if you want to sell the house, we may have a problem. Um, you know, I think most people know that out there that if you have, uh, you, you sell your personal residence, if you sell your personal residence, it's first $250,000 and it's not subject to capital gains tax. That's 250000 for husband, 250000 for wife. And of course, you get the stepped up basis on half ordinarily if it's a married couple, if one of the couple dies. So in a lot of cases, you can sell a million dollar house tax free. But that's why you do a trust agreement. You don't just give the house to your kids because you could lose those exemptions and haul apart. And if you want to give us a call about it, give us a call at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Now, Nicole, do you ever remember anything about Freedom Land? I live in the land of the free. Is that America that you were describing? No, there was a um, there was an amusement park in the Bronx, believe it or not, and it was called Freedom Land. And we're our next guest is going to be Michael Vigentano, and he told us about some of the stories behind Freedom Land. And I didn't realize that the Teamsters Union was running Freedom Land, and they were skimming money off the top or whatever, and went out of business and declared bankruptcy after five years. So we got the end scoop. But when I when I was ten years old, Freedom Land was my favorite place on earth. Really? Yes, because you would go into Freedom Land, and part of it would you'd go in a horse-drawn cart, and you'd go through Civil War battlefields, and people would be shooting on both sides of the battlefields, and you would go on a train ride in the Old West, and somebody some robbers would rob the train, and then the sheriff would, you know, shoot the robbers, and occasionally they'd hang one or two of them, and you, you went through the Chicago Fire and little old New York. We should bring that back. That sounds like a very interesting time. <laughs> it was, was, but I don't, you know, I don't, I, I think, first of all, I don't know where you'd find a lot land today, yeah. and I guess the world's, I think the World's Fair probably had a lot to do with it, because the World's Fair came out in 1964, so... That probably would have spelled the doom because how many, you know, that was the big attraction in 64 and 65. Mm. So we're going to be talking about Freedom Land in a few minutes. So take a short break and we'll be talking to Mike Virgentino. Can't wait to hear it. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it harder to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A home equity conversion mortgage may be the answer for you and your family. 
Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. Give me a call so our team here at Contour Mortgage can show you how the loan program works and how much you and your family may qualify for. My job is to help you find the best solution for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this mortgage program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-954-7463. Once again, that's 888-954-7463, and you could be on your way to a better retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591, Contour Mortgage Corporation, NMLS number 34384, 990 Stewart Avenue, Suite 660, Garden City, New York, 11530, Licensed Mortgage Banker, New York State Department of Financial Services. Hi, this is Patrick Wayne. I had the good fortune to be raised by a man of strength and courage, a man of true grit. My father, John Wayne, died of stomach cancer in 1979, and in his characteristic style, he ignored advice to keep his disease quiet and campaigned publicly to encourage preventive treatments. He inspired our family to carry on that mission and to fight what my dad called the Big C. All this has been made possible by my father's legacy of determination and a community of supporters who have helped expand upon that legacy. If you'd like to know more about what the Wayne family is doing to fight cancer, just go to johnwayne.org. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, when I was a kid, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, one of my favorite places on earth was a a place called Freedom Land. And I know most of the people, if you're not my age or older, you're not going to know what I'm talking about. But maybe we can enlighten some some of you because we have Michael Virgentino on who wrote a book about Freedom Land. Welcome back. Well, thank you, Michael. Good to be back. Okay. So tell everybody what was Freedom Land and you wrote one book about it, but now you've got some new information about it. So tell us about Sure. Well, uh, Freedom Land was an American history theme park located in the northeast section of the Bronx. For those uh, uh, of uh, your listeners who uh, travel uh, through that borough, they would know it today as Co-op City. And it was conceived and built by a by the name of C.V. Wood. Woody was the first employee for Disneyland, and he helped bring Walt Disney's imagination for Disneyland to life. Well, after Disneyland opened, uh, Woody went out on his own, and he started creating theme parks across the country. And you might ask, well, you know, Disneyland was just 
beginning and it was going to be popular, why would you build theme parks across the country at the same time? Well, you have to remember Disneyland opened in 1955. If you're living outside of a 100-mile radius of uh, the Disneyland area, you're not getting to Disneyland as a kid because your parents were not getting on a plane. They were not putting you in a car to go cross-country or even half-country uh, at that time. So entrepreneurs around the country saw the success or the, or the budding success of Disneyland and said, why can't we put parks in our own part of the world? And let's get C.V. Wood to build them since he knows so much about putting Disneyland together. So in summary, he built several parks around the country. There are 20 on the drawing board, but due to financial reasons and investment reasons, most of them uh, never get off uh, the design stage. But in New York City, opening in 1960, was Freedomland, which was really the only American history-based theme park back then and pretty much today. And uh, the park only lasted five years. It closed at the end of the 1964 season because unknown to Woody, they had plans, meaning the landowner, the city planners, the politicians, they had plans to build Co-op City from the late 1950s, and they were going to put it on that land. And they used Freedom Land as the device to obtain variances from the Army Corps of Engineers to put these high-rise apartment buildings on Bronx Marshland. So that's why Freedom Land, though it was popular with many, including yourself, including me, I lived right outside the park, no. and with uh, millions of other children at the time as well as adults and uh, teenagers, um, that's why it only lasted the five years. It was gone uh, in a blink of an eye, and really no one knew what had happened. But it was purposely driven into bankruptcy to clear the land to develop it for Co-op City. Now let's just tell some of the listeners or refresh the memory. So you walked into to Freedom Land, you usually went into old New York to start. And then you would go around the country and you would go, you know, to Chicago, uh, the Wild West, the South would be the Civil War. Uh, right. You know, and then the Northeast, well, Seattle, kind of like yeah, the world yeah. of the future. Right. You had you had seven themed areas for Freedom Land, and you're correct. When you walked in, you walked into little old New York of the late 1800s, the, the New York City that our immigrant uh, grandparents or great-grandparents would remember. And you had it filled with shops uh, and attractions such as the tugboats that mimicked the ones from the late 1800s, horse-drawn streetcars, and... and uh, other uh, similar activities that were popular in Lower Manhattan uh, at that time. Unlike Disneyland, it did not have a, a, a straight main street uh, where you would have parades. Woody didn't want to create the same thing he created in Disneyland, so he created little old New York 
to look like the original little old New York of uh, lower Manhattan, where the streets would t twist and turn and end up in alleyways or dead ends. So it was a very unique concept for a park, because most parks still don't do uh, a themed area that way, uh, where, where uh, roads really curve and, and come back onto themselves. So from little old New York, you went to old Chicago from 1871, the year of the great Chicago fire. And the big attraction there among the many that were in old Chicago was a building would catch on fire. The firemen would race uh, to the location. And you, as a guest of the park, would get to uh, pump the water from the antique water pumper uh, to fight the flames and put out the Chicago fire. This area of the park also had uh, uh, Mississippi-type sternwheelers and other attractions related uh, to the Midwest at that time. From there, you moved, uh, started moving farther west to the Great Plains. You had Fort Calvary, like all the forts you would see uh, in the films and the TV shows of the 50s and early 60s. You would have uh, gunfights uh, uh, would develop spontaneously, uh, and you would have a lot of other activities going on uh, in the fort. Uh, sometimes marching uh, soldiers would come by. Uh, you would have uh, square dancing uh, lessons uh, uh, for the women. And you would have uh, an occasional hanging of, of one of those uh, varmints by the sheriff. And uh, uh, Digger O'Toole, the uh, Wild West undertaker, would always be around handing out his business card looking for future business. You'd have a train uh, holdup, too. I remember that. That's right. Well, train holdups you had were in another part of the park called the Old Southwest. Okay. Uh, it was another part of the western uh, area, and the, the uh, bandits would uh, hide out in a makeshift uh, train station in the Old Southwest, and as the train came out of the San Francisco-themed area, uh, they would board the train and... Uh, uh, try to rob the passengers before they jumped off at, at about Old Chicago because the train went in a loop from Old Chicago to San Francisco, uh, uh, went through um, the, uh, the Great Plains, San Francisco, and the Old Southwest and New Orleans before it came back into Chicago. So you had uh, uh, various dark rides mimicking the earthquake of uh, uh, 1906 in San Francisco. You had a boat ride that uh, it was very similar to uh, the Jungle Cruise uh, that was in, or still is in today, in Disneyland because the same person who designed and built Jungle Cruise came over to work at Freedomland and built the Northwest Fur Trapper ride, which was uh, the Lewis and Clark expedition going to the Great Northwest. Uh, you then, from San Francisco, you went into the Old Southwest, uh, where you would have the Opera House and Saloon. You also have gunfights break out in front of the saloon. You had mule rides for the kids and other activities that were typical of the Wild West. And from that, you moved into New Orleans, which was Mardi Gras all the time and uh, had uh, a carousel going back to the 19, early 1900s. Uh, but you also had uh, an attraction uh, that uh, 
got you, Michael, and me and many others into history because it was the Civil War attraction. And you would ride on a correspondence wagon pulled by a mule or a horse through a battlefield while the fighting is going on all around you. And uh, you would end the ride at Appomattox Courthouse and watch Lee surrender to Grant. And then from New Orleans, you would go into the only modern or contemporary area of Freedom Land, which was Satellite City, and that would uh, involve uh, the space race that was going on at the time with Russia. Uh, it mimicked very much uh, uh, Tomorrowland that you saw at Disneyland, but it had some other different, unique uh, developments uh, that were only unique uh, to Freedom Land. And and let me say, well, what obviously you came out with the book a few years back. What what have you learned since, and what's in the new edition? Well, what's interesting is that when I wrote the first book, which uh, was Freedom Land USA, uh, The Definitive History, I thought I had found everything there was to talk about, about Freedom Land, because the records no longer exist. A lot of the information was gone when the park was closed. But when that book came out, it was such a hit with... Uh, boys and girls who are now our age, the boomers, but also with the employees who were teenagers and a little older uh, at the time of the park. And I was contacted by more than a 100 employees or their children who had stories to tell. And these stories go from everything from... Uh, working in uh, in the office with senior management from to food concession to working the attractions to being cowboys um, just working throughout the entire park and at the same time i came up with or found uh three very large uh, photo collections oh. uh, about three thousand photos that were taken by park photographers uh, about another hundred photos that were taken by a professional uh, photojournalist who worked with New York newspapers who moonlighted for Freedom Land, and then uh, another set that was taken by a Hollywood celebrity who was one uh, a friend of one of the Hollywood stuntmen who portrayed a cowboy at Freedom Land for four years. And as we know, pictures. Uh, more than a thousand words. You know, I learned a lot by looking closely at these photographs. So the stories of the employees uh, or their children, many stories from uh, boomers who, who went to the park, plus these photographs. And on top of that, which I didn't know for the first book, there were about five archives that I have found across the country that have material about the park. So I had to delve into all those archives also. So the new book, which is more definitive history of Freedom Land USA, is piled with information that really was not known when I wrote the first book. Um, and I'm sure there's more out there, but I don't know where I would find it. I believe I probably tapped probably 99% of the sources of information. Let me ask you kind of like a, an absurd or more. Was anybody ever killed in an accident in Freedom Land? Do you know? Uh, t 
to my knowledge, no one was ever killed in an accident, as we hear in amusement parks and theme parks, pretty common uh, in recent years. There were some accidents at the park. Um, Ten days into the opening of Freedom Land, a a stagecoach, the horses were spooked by the train whistle, and they rushed out of control, and the stagecoach toppled over. Uh, About 10 people were injured, two people had to be hospitalized, and one person was very seriously injured, but I believe survived. I never heard that the person did not survive. And then there were some other accidents. There was a woman who, uh, they had uh, an attraction in Satellite City called the Moving Sidewalk. And that was a, a wow moment back then that you could actually stand on something and you didn't have to walk, it would move. But we see that today in almost every airport where you can get on with your luggage and just stand there and it takes you to another part of the airport. But a woman got her foot caught in the contraption there and had to be rushed to the local hospital. And there were others, uh, some other accidents or some other attractions where a child fell, maybe fell off a mule or uh, uh, got brushed by the uh, horse-drawn streetcar. There have been uh, uh, instances of that, but no one, to my knowledge, ever died from an accident at the park. That's good to know. Now, let me ask you something. Was it profitable, let's say, in 1965? Was the park still profitable? Well, yeah, well, the park closed in 64. Right, okay. Um, so uh, it closed in September of 64. They declared bankruptcy. But what occurred a little later on was uh, when Freedom Land was selling off or auctioning off its assets uh, to pay its bills uh, as it was declaring the bankruptcy, a park up in Lake George, uh, the owner of the park, uh, Storytown USA and Gaslight Village in Lake George, bought not only some of the attractions, but some of the back room materials, the desks, the chairs, the file cabinets. And he found in one of the file cabinets two set of sets of books, ah. both financial and two sets of books on attendance. There was the the correct set, and then there, there was the set that they used to file for bankruptcy. So Freedom Land was pretty much pro, uh, profitable, maybe all the years, maybe not the last year, I'm just not sure of that. But there was a lot of skimming off the top, a lot of money went out uh, in suitcases, in cash. Uh, I have stories of several instances uh, in the new book. Um, and uh, there were uh, services paid for where management would give uh, projects uh, to outside uh, companies that they probably knew the owners of for projects that weren't needed, and they were, uh, would be paid 10000 20000 uh, for a project, which was a lot of money in the early 1960s. So they looked for any way to uh, drive the park into bankruptcy. What they needed to do was last for five years to obtain building variances from the Army Corps of Engineers that would give permission to build the high-rise apartments on the marshland. And exactly, Freedom Land lasted five years before de- declaring bankruptcy. Did any was there anything ever similar in, in other parts of the country? 
Yes, um, a few attractions uh, besides the ones going up t uh, to Lake George at Storytown. Um, two of the dark rides, Earthquake and uh, what we called Buccaneer and was renamed Pirate Ride, went out to uh, the Cedar Point Amusement Park uh, in Ohio. Uh, they lasted about another 20 to 24 years each, and then they were taken out of service and they no longer exist. Uh, if you want to see some remnants of Freedom Land today, you have to go to Clark's Trading Post up in Lincoln, New Hampshire. It's at the foot of the White Mountains. And uh, up there they have uh, the Chicago train station, the Santa Fe train station. They have uh, a lot of the lampposts uh, that were used at Freedom Land. A lot of the park benches at Freedom Land are now up there also. But pretty much that's all that really exists today. Everything else, if it went to other parks, uh, they have now been pulled out of service and have been destroyed or they were destroyed before they even left Freedom Land. You can see still a couple of, uh, uh, couple of items up at what was Storytown and is now known as the Great Escape up in Lake George. Uh, you can see a couple of small remnants up there, but if, if you didn't know what you were looking for, it wouldn't mean anything to you. All right, well, why, why, why are you writing this book? Why... You know, I, I I believe Freedom Land deserves to be remembered because it was my favorite place as a kid for years. And, you know, it, it, it's a shame that it's in memory and not in actuality. Right. Well, I had felt a number of years ago, first of all, Freedom Land was what got me into loving American history. And about maybe 15, 20 years ago, I realized that all these other parks around the country, even Coney Island and, uh, and other parks that no longer existed, were fondly remembered. And I noticed at the beginning of social media on Facebook, a lot of these parks uh, were getting pages dedicated to them, and there was nothing to remember Freedom Land. So I decided uh, to begin a page on Facebook about the history of the park, and now I've, uh, over the years it's been expanded uh, to Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Um, and I, it was just, not just to say, here's a picture from Freedom Land, uh, do you remember it, but to go into the story. Why was Freedom Land created? Why was it put where it was in the Bronx? Who made the attractions? And, the, and when you look at who made the attractions, they were former Disney people, Hollywood people, uh, Broadway, and even television people were involved in creating the attractions that we enjoyed. So uh, there was a lot of history there that was lost to time. So I was able to find a lot of this, but what added to it in the new book is the hundred or so employees who were able to tell their stories. They would tell me uh, when they were sharing it with me, they never shared it with anyone else. Not even their children were interested in what they did at this place called Freedom Land that the children never saw. But I was able to draw them out and get their memories and not only their memories, but stories of 
occurrences at the park that would have never been known. And occurrences or people, other names of other employees who would never have been known. So we have a long list of employees uh, mentioned in the second book. We have a number in the first, but we found many more for the second book. And some of them have very unique stories to tell. Can you give us an example? Can you, one of the anecdotes or stories? Uh, yeah, uh, let me think of one uh, off the top of my head. Um, all right, one was a, a fellow who, who lived in the Bronx, and he worked uh, at, uh, mostly at night, late evenings, uh, into, uh, into closing time. And he would be in one of the back room areas where the, uh, when uh, the various areas cashed out for the day and they would bring the money in. And he would be counting the money or so. And then he would, uh, on his break time, he said he would always walk over to Satellite City because it was right adjacent to where he was to listen to all the named entertainers of the day who were performing in the evenings. And he would, you know, he would hear Tony Bennett, uh, Patty Page, uh, The Temptations, uh, and, and other stars of the, of the time. But he was the one who came back and said, you know, I'd be in the office and all of a sudden there'd be a, a knock on the back door and a man would come in in a suit and, and sunglasses and another person in the office would open the safe and hand him the suitcase that I found, that he found out later was filled with about maybe $25,000 in cash. And the man would go outside and hop into a limousine and take off. And he said this would happen on a number of occasions. I also had uh, another person who worked in the park as a teenager, and he said where he worked in, uh, in the photographer's area in the darkroom, he overlooked an area... Uh, behind the offices, and he would say he saw bags of tickets thrown out into the uh, dumpsters in the back. The tickets had not been matched up with the receipts. So he, too, knew that uh, something was going on, something was a little fishy. Even he, he said he was 15, 16 at the time, and he said it just didn't seem right. Now, th this same person... His father was second in command for the Freedom Land Security Force. And he said one day his, uh, he was already home. Uh, his father came home from work late one day, and he, uh, he overheard his father speaking with his mother, asking how his day went. And the father said, you know, I heard something interesting at the park today. He goes, they're talking about developing the land further, creating something that they're calling a city within a city. And that would become Co-op City. And he said this in 1960, just after the park opened. So it just shows you a lot of things were going on. The public was not aware of a lot of it. A lot of the employees were not aware of what was going on or the fate of the park. Who's, down who's the road. getting they all this money? thought it would last forever. Who's getting all this money? Is this an expose? Uh, I don't know where that money was going, but as one, one of the fellows told me, he said, I, he didn't even want to know because 
one of the big operators at the park was the Teamsters Union. Ah. And he said, you just didn't want to mess with anyone from the Teamsters Union. As a matter of fact, they ended up owning part of the park in the last two years. The pension fund of the Teamsters Union put up money to take a piece of the property uh, from, the, from the landowner who was having financial trouble at the time in order to keep the park afloat so it lasted the five years to, to have the variances so they could close the park and the Teamsters Union would get all the jobs to build Co-op City. Jimmy Hoff is not out there, is he? Yeah, that's another funny story. We, uh, some of us have always kidded, you know, if Jimmy Hoffa could be anywhere, he could be there. Since he, the, the fellow who became president of Freedom Land the last two seasons was also the same executive who managed the pension fund for the Teamsters <laughs> Now, I about a year and a half ago, and her memories are in the new book, she said... Uh, because they lived up in Connecticut, Jimmy Hoffa would come over often when he was in town and have dinner. And what a great guy he was! And they were. Uh, she she was about sixteen at the time, and she said she was shocked years later when she heard what happened to him. So, you know, there's a Hoffa story involved with Freedom Land anyway, whether he's there or not. Well, I guess but he I disappeared a few years there. after that. So. Yeah, I'll tell you what is there. The land was, uh, because it was marshland, it was graded uh, about eight feet higher for Freedom Land. And then it was raised about another eight feet or so for Co-op City and the uh, shopping center that's on the property. When they renovated the old Yankee Stadium in the mid-70s, and they had a lot of construction debris, they dumped it where the shopping center is today to help raise the, the grade. So parts of Yankee Stadium are about 8 to 10 feet under the shopping center. Yeah, I don't know what that says, but listen, Michael, we went over our time. But thank you very much for you know bringing this book. Now, where does somebody get the book? And what's it called well, again? Both Freedom of Land. my books are available only online. Uh, you could go to Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and uh, you can find it possibly on other uh, book retailers online. All right. So, again, what's the name of the book? All right. The, the original book was Freedom Land USA, The Definitive History. The new one, which references a lot of information from the first book and then adds a lot more to it, is Freedom Land USA, more definitive history. All right, Michael. Thank you very much for doing this. It's been a very enjoyable oh, half hour. Yeah, good to talk to you again. Okay, take care. Thanks again. All right. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. 
now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, or connorsandsullivan.com. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit ccbq.org. The Guild for Exceptional Children, or GEC, has been providing excellent care to children and adults with developmental disabilities since 1958. It is our mission to help build better lives and brighter futures for the people in our care. We serve nearly 1,000 individuals each day and are proud that 90 cents of every dollar is used for actual services. Please visit www.gecbklyn.org or call 718-833-6633 to learn more. One. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer. With me, Mike Connors, now accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hey, everybody. And my son, Michael. Hello, everyone. Okay, now, Beth, obviously you never got to see Freedom Land. No, and I think I would have loved it. I know you said you liked the, the Civil War part the best and the riding in the little wagoner. I would like the Lewis and Clark one. Yeah, that was interesting, you know, because... Uh, again, you know, I had never been to Disneyland at that time, so the animatronics where you had the, you know, the the soldiers shooting each other, kind of robot type, but they were right, very realistic right. looking. And, uh, you know, Danny the Dragon still just kind of parked out back ignominiously at oh. one of the work roads at um, Hurricane Harbor. Is, okay. oh my goodness. Okay. Well, there were, you were saying there were several of these around the country. No, he said there were. I oh, no, okay. there were not really. There were just bits and pieces, but there was no like one just on American history. The whole thing, and of course the, um, you know, like some of the Western things where they had the gunfights. That was done by actors and stuntmen. Okay. You know the stagecoach robberies, right. the gunfights, the right. railroad robberies, the hanging. Um, they hanged real people. Well, they. Had stuntmen doing it or whatever. Oh, I guess they had harnesses goodness. on or whatever. Um, he said nobody was killed in Freedom well, Land so in an good. accident and otherwise. So, um, you know, but it was an interesting part of history, and I'm I'm looking forward to getting a hold of the book and taking a look at the editions or whatever because it was a, a you know fond part of of my childhood, so to speak. And I always thought that maybe the World's Fair put Freedom Land out of business because right. when the World's Fair came, Freedom Land went. But apparently, no, there was a lot of skimming and so forth, and, you know, Teamsters involved. Oh, are you saying you don't trust the Teamsters? No, I'm not saying anything. The pensions? Okay. okay. I just right. want to make sure we, everyone, we're not besmirching Teamsters. Okay, so now, um, people are asking about seminars. We are going to be doing seminars the end of April. We'll give you the dates in a couple of weeks, sometime in March, the exact dates and times. And if you want to sign up for one of the seminars, please feel free. We don't charge for admission, um, but just, you, you know, we'd like to know how many people show up so we can set the room appropriately. Maybe in some cases we need to meet, move to a bigger room, or in some cases maybe a smaller room. And, of course, we know weather happens, and today in, in weather, 
so unpredictable. People have a tendency not to show up in bad weather anymore. I, I remember in the old days, we could have two feet of snow and I wouldn't miss it. No, Ten clients would come in and that cancel. Be here. You know? I think COVID, COVID did that to everybody. No, just, it's even the last few years. A little more? bad weather. You know, in the meanwhile, though, if you have a, a, a not-for-profit, a church, a synagogue, um, any senior citizen center, if you want us to do a seminar there, give us a long month's notice and we'll do the seminar at your not-for-profit. Again, we don't charge for it. So give us a call at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, and we'll trot out there and do a seminar for you. And it's it's about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate. And as far as elder law is concerned, we want to try to save assets from nursing home bills. And the average cost of a nursing home right now in New York City is more than $15,000 a month. So if you don't plan in advance, you could be very easily bankrupted. And that's part of what we're doing. And if you want to schedule an appointment with us in Connors and Sullivan, you're more than welcome to do it. We don't charge for the first consultation. The initial consultation is free. Everything we do as far as estate planning and elder law is done on a flat fee basis. We don't charge by the hour. We charge by the job. So if you want, give us a call at Connors and Sullivan at 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. Time to wrap up for this week. See you next week at the same time and places. Bye-bye, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. The voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. The voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. Kevin McCullough, are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors and Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors and Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.